The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much. It's been a wild day today, and the madness has started, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yep. The uh, sports world is uh, never lets you rest on your laurels for more than 24 hours it seems like the news cycle is always moving so fast and so swift and what you went to bed with and thought you're going to talk about is not really always what you're going to talk about the next day but here we're going to catch the people up on the ncaa tournament first and foremost so we'll start there where st peter's the 15 seed the peacocks this year's Cinderella as they have crashed the ball and gotten themselves into the round of 16 by first upsetting number two, Kentucky. And then, uh, in what was a very entertaining game, high level game, they defeated Murray state to advance to the first ever sweet 16 appearance. If you close your eyes and just listen to him talk, you'd swear Mike Tyson, was coaching St. Peter's, but no, that is Shaheen Holloway, former uh, <laughs> Seton Hall point guard, who may be in line to coach his alma mater after this run, as uh, Seton Hall's coach Kevin Willard just signed a multi-year deal to be Maryland's new head coach, so look out for maybe Shaheen Holloway getting an upgrade. Oh, close Turgeon, that's right. Um, but first and foremost, man, we just got to talk about the Peacocks. Um what they did against Kentucky in overtime was very impressive. Um, Kentucky's behind all game, furious comeback, forced to overtime. You really thought that, you know, Kentucky's talent, size, and everything would kind of take over in that extra five minutes. But no, man, St. Peter stayed true to themselves, true to the game, and uh, they never flinched. And they sent the young Kentucky Wildcats home. And then um, Murray State was the team that a lot of people had picked to make this year's Sweet 16, and they ended up beating the Racers by 10. And now St. Peter's. The state champions of Kentucky. (laughs) Headed on down the line. So your thoughts just first and foremost on the job, St. Peter's, uh, you know, we all, you know, you don't expect it to be the 2-15 and 15 upset that often, but when it happens, man, and they can advance to the Sweet 16, it's definitely a, a monumental breakthrough. Definitely. The 11th, 15th seed to win a tournament game, the third to go to the Sweet 16, um, joining FGCU and uh, who was the other one? Um, that. There was another one. I can't think of it right now, but um, they'll come to me. But this is definitely a remarkable run by the Kentucky State champs, uh, beating the uh, main school in Lexington, beating Murray State, who ran through the Ohio Valley Conference, um, being 
where I'm at in Nashville, the OVC is pretty big. There's several schools in the state that are in this conference. Uh, Tennessee State, Tennessee Tech, Austin P, uh, Belmont, and Murray, Kentucky, not far from um, all those um, Tennessee schools. So I have seen quite a bit of their game. Um, but St. Peter's, they're just a reflection of Shaheen Holloway. Um, gritty, tough. Um, and mind you, this is a team that got hit with some COVID issues. And at one point, we're 12 and 11. But with this uh, run in the tournament, they've won nine in a row. And, you know, making their first Sweet 16 appearance. And I, you're definitely right. Uh, with uh, Kevin Willard moving to Maryland and Seton Hall's got that vacancy, I'm sure the Pirates are looking up to Jersey City, looking to pluck Shaheen Holloway away from from um, St. Peter's when that does happen. And one thing, the Peacocks, they were the first uh, team from New Jersey to make it to the Sweet 16. Uh, the last team to do it was Seton Hall when Shaheen Holloway was <laughs> playing for them. So um, it's uh, pretty pretty uh, remarkable how he is linked with those two um, New Jersey schools and getting it done. Uh, this is a team that they have no fear. They And the one thing that you said, uh, right before you asked me my thought was the word young. And I say that because Kentucky, even though they came back, their talent started to show, but St. Peter's had the experience. And in certain situations, experience will trump youth. And this is one of those cases where this did happen and also, when you look at what St. Peter's has done in this tournament, uh, beating an equally experienced team at Murray State, one thing that they did was Murray State likes to run. They like to score. They like to make those baskets quick. St. Peter's grinded them out. And that grind and grit is definitely what led them to this. these two wins, I should say in this NCAA tournament and and um as they get ready for as they get ready for their um their um sweet sixteen matchup they'll be taking on Purdue be Purdue which will be a very interesting matchup. Um I really want to see how that how Purdue's height will bother this uh, St. Uh, Peter's team, but we also do want to see um, I do want to see how much support is going to come to Philly for this region. I mean, we'll see who comes down I-95 to give that support to the Peacocks uh, going forward. So it's definitely going to be a great matchup. Sticking with that East region, the A-seeded North Carolina Tar Heels. They opened up a can on Marquette uh, to um, actually have the largest margin of victory between uh, eight seed versus nine seed in the history of the tournament. Then they followed that up 
in what can only be described as 30 minutes of beautiful basketball and then 15 minutes of hold your breath basketball as they took on the number one seed Baylor Bears, beat them in overtime to advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, this The Baylor game, uh, as everybody knows who follows college basketball, was looking to be a huge blowout. North Carolina led by 25 with roughly about 10 minutes to go in the game. And then everything changed when Brady Manick, who was on his way to probably having about 35, uh, elbowed uh, Joshua Schoen uh, of um, Baylor. And he got thrown out of the game, flagrant two. And from then on, Baylor pressing, fouling, hacking, scrapping, clawed all the way back, forced overtime. But they celebrated like they'd won the game when they forced it into overtime. North Carolina came out and scored the next seven points in the overtime, and they ended up getting a five-point victory. Um, I, I just, uh, man, this, this, this is a, this was a, one of those games that was just like, oh man, we about to really put a number on them and put the whole NCAA tournament on notice. To, oh my gosh, we about to get done in in overtime. <laughs> but uh, it was little, a high and low. <laughs> Little used freshman, Dontre Styles had to come in and play, played meaningful minutes, scored nine points off the bench, hit a no, 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 yes, three to start overtime, and that kind of got Carolina's legs back underneath him, man. And uh, R.J. Davis was the star in the, uh, the second game here against Baylor. He scored 30 points, came out red hot in the first half. Uh, and in the first game, Caleb Love was the star as he had 21 points in the first half against Marquette. So North Carolina, um, under coach Hubert Davis, um, they've won like 12 out of their last 13 games or something like that. Um, starting to really find themselves as a team, chemistry-wise, understanding what the coach needs from them to prepare offensively and defensively. And uh, North Carolina right now playing by far their best basketball of the season and most consistent. I, I said last week, I actually listened to the show today, uh, how inconsistent uh, they were and how I feared that I didn't know what they would do from one game to the next. Well, at least in the first round, in the second round here in Fort Worth, they played very consistent and they played very well offensively and defensively, even though Baylor, with a little help from their friends, made that incredible rally to force overtime. This was a, a wild game. Um, I said at the onset when I saw these brackets come out on Selection Sunday that Baylor was going to have a tough time with whoever came out. Whoever came out with of that game, um, whether it was North Carolina or Marquette. Um, and, I didn't, and I had a really sinking feeling that they were going to make the Sweet 16, and I was right. Um, Baylor had a lot of injuries towards the end of the season. Uh, they didn't have that same – they had that champion's hangover. Um, they did enough to have the Kobe 12 – with Kansas as somebody that watches Big 12 basketball religiously uh, I 
didn't see that same intensity towards the end of the season that I saw at the start of the season. Um, at first, I thought, okay, Baylor's probably going to – Baylor looks like they could go toe-to-toe with uh, Gonzaga and then um, later on Arizona for they, – they were looking like a top three. Like, I had them even over Kansas again. And but then injury started to happen. The chemistry kind of was off towards the end of the season, as those injured players start coming back. And I just looked at I didn't look at them the same way as I did at the start of the season. So when those brackets came out, and they did get that last number one seed, but I looked at who they had to go through. I mean, not only the North Carolina Marquette winner, which was North Carolina, of course, they had to get through either Indiana, St. Mary's, or UCLA, which would be an easy task. Um, and now that when uh, North Carolina and Shaka Smart, who's lost seven straight tournament games, which is an NCAA record, by the way, Shaka Smart is. I think she's been living off that VCU win, but that havoc is not working anymore. No, it worked in 2011. It's not working. You know, surprisingly, in that ball game, they didn't press as much as I thought. They didn't start pressing until they got down. Well, he also still has Steve Wojcikowski's players as well. True. So, and you know, Wojcikowski is a Coach K disciple, so. He doesn't have the players that he probably wants that will fit that system just yet. Um, I think once he gets that in the play, I think you'll see a different Marquette team that will be in his image. You'll see a different – you'll see Marquette in the uh, back in the contention in the Big East, I think, in the, in the future. Uh, Shaka uh, Smart used that money from Texas uh... – to get to get some put some hair on that head, man. He, he looked totally different. That's my first time seeing him uh, yeah. since you know he's been the coach of Marquette, and I was like, "Who is that dude?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see. I seen a few games on Fox, and and I, I was like, "Okay, he's he's got keeps or something. <laughs> uh, he either got a keeps contract or a Bosley contract, one of the two. But um, but he definitely." I definitely think that I definitely think that they weren't ready. Marquette definitely wasn't ready for that blitz Carolina put on them on in that first game on Friday. Uh, they definite or was it Thursday? No, Thursday. it was Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Um, they weren't ready. They weren't ready at all. Carolina just barrage of threes. Um, the outside game was on point, and and they just cruised. Like honestly, I only watched at least like twenty seconds of that game <laughs> because I was just I just knew it was over from from the from the word go, and then um and then uh, the Baylor game, uh, you know when. I would say it changed, obviously, at that elbow uh, with the 25-point lead, that elbow. But that was a badly officiated game. Um, I don't really like to – 
put things on the referees too much. And most of your fan base likes to do it. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, but it was a badly officiated game. Oh, yeah. I think Baylor was on their way to losing that game by 30 points. Yeah. And so a lot of favorable calls were a lot of favorable calls. I know CBS had to hit the Buffalo Wild Wings button or something. But <laughs> they, I don't know what happened there. But yeah, Baylor should have Baylor should have been blown out, and uh, and uh, it, but it did create for high drama, um, and it was a very dramatic Saturday of college basketball because I'm sitting here wanting Baylor to lose. I'm getting nervous there, and then I gotta get nervous because of the Kansas game. I was right right behind us. So yeah, man, Creighton they put up a good fight. Uh, we're gonna go just real quick rapid fire. Do some of the upsets that happened in the first and second round. We got 12 seed Richmond beating the number five seed Iowa. Iowa was Iowa was a very trendy pick after winning the Big Ten, but it's real tough to uh, you know play that hard, put forth that much effort in such a short Richmond's span. Got some Richmond's got some upset-minded schools, man. Richmond, VCU. There's some tough schools in that in that city, definitely. Right. The 12 seed New Mexico, they upset five seed UConn. I didn't even know UConn was that good this year, so that really was kind yeah. of like a huh? What? Yeah, I didn't even know UConn they, was in going the back to the Big East was the best thing UConn ever did. Um, Miami, they upset USC and Notre Dame. Not only won their playing game at the buzzer, but then they turned around and upset Alabama in the first round. So. Uh-huh. Two ACC teams uh, getting it done there. Iowa State upset LSU. I don't really know if this was an upset to us because we kind of figure LSU would be kind of discombobulated after uh, the Will Wade uh, termination right here, uh, right before the tournament. It was going to be tough for them to kind of gather themselves back up and do anything yeah. significant. They, they battled, though. They battled, though. Yeah. And shout out. And, and I even hate saying shout out to Iowa State because they're in the same conference as Kansas. But. This, this is a squad that won two games last year and are killing it right now. So, Mich- T.J. Offenberger doing a great job. Michigan, they beat Colorado State. I don't really know if that would be – I mean, by the seeding, it was an upset. But I think most people in their Colorado bracket – Colorado State was a good team. They had a good squad. At, you know, they did deserve the – they did deserve the seeding they got. But, you know, we did, I was – Questioning Michigan's um, being in the tournament to begin with, but I did, like we said, their strength of schedule is what enabled them to get in. Jawan Howard definitely gave in Michigan the punch they needed to get their season going, so good run for them as well. They upset the three seed Tennessee to advance to the Sweet 16. Excuse me, Iowa State, they got to the Sweet 16 by beating Wisconsin. And I told y'all on the episode last week, don't trust Bruce Pearl in a in a tournament one and done situation. Well it comes true again as Miami, they defeated Auburn to advance to the Sweet 16. Now we're gonna run down the matchups that we have starting on Thursday night as we're gonna go back. Did uh, we talk about Gonzaga Arizona? 
yeah, we're about to talk about them barely getting by Arizona, uh, taken to the brink by TCU, which was a, a heck of a game. The last game on Sunday, um, yes. man, it, it took some heroics from uh, the Pac-10 Player of the Year in the last minute or so to force the overtime. Then in the overtime, uh, Arizona size and talent finally wore TCU down. Um, Kansas, like we said, got a great run from uh, Creighton. That game was nip and tuck down to the final minutes. Uh, Kansas from had to the make beginning their, to the end. Kansas had to make their free throws to kind of get some distance there at the end. Uh, Gonzaga kind of scuffling in both of their games. Um, they look very vulnerable. They don't look like, at least through this first weekend, that they were locked in and the number one overall seed and the favorite to win the tournament. They they had two really tougher than expected games. Maybe that yeah. was the wake-up call for them mm-hmm. to get themselves going. Georgia State just didn't have the height to keep up. That score does not reflect the game at all. And then Memphis was just – they just had too many fouls. I think if Memphis could didn't foul so much, that would have been an upset. Right, right. So that brings us, like I said, to Thursday night's matchup. So we got Arkansas, the four seed going up against Gonzaga, the one seed in the West. We got Villanova and Michigan, the 11 and 2 in the South. Texas Tech and Duke, which is a very interesting matchup taking place one. out in the West region. And then Arizona and Houston, the, the other matchup in the South. Um, the Houston team, I thought, very impressive. I thought they, them in North Carolina may have looked the best as far as, like, from the first game through their Sweet 16 game with consistent effort, consistent defense, good offense, and just kind of playing together. I, I, I was really impressed by Houston's two games. Houston leads the nation in field goal defense, field goal percentage defensively. And... That game against Illinois was a reflection of that. They they definitely they slow you down. They clog the lanes. They rebound. And not only does that help on the defensive end, it also helps on the offensive end as well. Those um, though they lead the nation in offensive rebounds. So even if you try to box out it. It does not go so well for for your for Houston's opponents. Uh, Texas Tech and Duke. I think Duke is going to get probably their biggest test experience wise. I think they battled against Michigan State. I think Michigan State just didn't have enough enough experience. They had a nice little mix of it, but Duke's talent went out in the end. But Texas Tech, there. This is another solid defensive team and this is another team that is capable of knocking the blue devils out uh based on based on their experience if they grind it out and use their use that experience i think they can beat duke um i think michigan one run ends against villanova and then i don't if if arkansas can control their fouls and not and if they could find a way to keep Drew Timmy out the paint, because that was another problem for Georgia State and and uh, Memphis. If they could keep Drew Timmy out the paint and not let him just 
make uh make moves like every single time he touches the ball. Um, and if Gonzaga can't shoot the three, Arkansas will knock them off and send them packing back to Spokane. Friday's matchups. We already talked about St. Peter's and Purdue kicking it off on Friday in the East region. Then you got Dwayne's Kansas Jayhawks taking on Providence. That's going to be a hell of a game. Providence, well-coached, tough team. Um, they're going to give Kansas all they can handle. North Carolina and UCLA. You want to talk about someone getting all they can handle. North Carolina going to have to. That's their toughest says. UCLA is no joke. Yeah, the good thing about that is Carolina played them last year. Uh, they have a different team uh, as far as the main characters, but Baycock, uh, um, Baycock, R.J. Davis, Leaky Black, Caleb Love, they were all a part of that team that played UCLA last year. So hopefully that experience and that, familiar app, that, that being familiar with them will help this year. Um, it's going to be a tough matchup because Tiger Campbell is a, is a scoring threat this year. Well, last year he was just mostly a grown up, yeah, I facilitator, and uh, just running grown. the show. But this year he's taking such a leadership role in scoring, so that's going to be a little bit uh, tougher matchup for Carolina, just because they don't have the depth as well. So if UCLA can get the tempo a little bit quickened, it might be detriment okay. to Carolina's depth. And then the very okay. last game of the Sweet 16 is going to take place between an 11 and a 10 seed as Iowa State is taking on Miami in that wide-open bottom of the Midwest region. So those are your matchups for the Sweet 16. Uh, look for Providence and Kansas to be a hell of a game. I, I, I really expect that game to be maybe our first true buzzer beater of the tournament type game because uh, Providence has been very good defensively. They've been very good efficient on offense all season. Uh, Kansas um, looked good in the first game, struggled a little bit in the second game. And uh, I always say that this next game, the first game, the Sweet 16 game, the resumption of the tournament, that game is the hardest to win for any team just because you have to reestablish your momentum. Um, it doesn't have the same excitement as the first day of the tournament. Everybody, you know, feels like they got a chance to win the championship. Um, it's not the Elite Eight game, and it's not the Final Four or the championship. So that's the middle game I always feel is the toughest to win. Usually the national champion will have a scare in this particular round. A lot of times your national champion will get real close to losing and uh, in the Sweet 16 round. But we'll see who's prepared and who comes out and uh, – you know, this time next week, we'll be talking about the Final Four. Yes, indeed. Uh, anything oh, else yeah, that yeah. just stuck out from the tournament for you? Um, Just one number, and that's 2353. That's the total number of wins that Kansas and Kentucky have together. And if uh, Kansas wins, they will pass Kentucky at number one in all-time wins. Yeah, North Carolina is just a little bit behind them as well. So, yeah, the Blue Bloods had a little bit of an off year last year, but um, didn't look like North Carolina was going to be a part of it. But, I mean, the second half of their season's turned around dramatically, and now they're in the mix. Now, this is the one thing I don't like is that, you know, before everybody's like, oh, they're such a dark horse, they're such a dark horse, they could do damage, we just don't know. And now this week it's like, hey, North Carolina, we're riding with them. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Keep yep. us as the dark horse. Keep us as the you know creeping through the shadows. Let us creep up on people. Don't don't put the bullets back, back <laughs> on us. The name is too big to be creeping up. the The name is too big. Yeah, as as much as you want to stay on the sneak tip, it's it's not. Especially now when it's a little bit more magnified. Yeah, the. the there's no more darkness now. Everybody's in the light. This reminds me of the 2000 North Carolina Tar Heel team with uh, Ed Cota, Shaman Williams, and young Brendan Hayward, Chris Lang. Um, that was a good Jason team. Capel. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Jason Capel. Um, that everybody thought was a bubble team. Got into the tournament as an eight seed. Got uh, the first win. I forgot who they played that year. Went up against Stanford, who had the two Collins twins at the time that played right into North Carolina's um, hands. One of the Lopez twins? No, they had the Collins then, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, North Carolina all year had had problems with small, quick teams, but Eric, but uh, Stanford was just like them. You know, they they utilized their bigger guys, played two post guys uh, for majority of the time. It was just a, a, a matchup that North Carolina can handle. North Carolina defeated Stanford, went all the way to the Final Four where they did match up against that smaller, quicker team in Florida and ended up losing in 2000. Yeah, that was the year. That was a Mateen Cleaves year. Mm-hmm, in 2000. But uh, that's what this North Carolina team kind of reminds me of, kind of same scenario. Bowl team kind of on, on the edge of everything all season, get into the tournament, and now they're trying to make a significant run. So... Next week at this time, we'll be talking about the four teams who will be playing for a championship down in New Orleans, and uh, we'll be previewing uh, who we think can actually win the national championship. This yeah. is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, joined by my co-host, Dwayne. Now we're going to shift over to the NFL, where the Deshaun Washington sweepstakes has finally come to an end. Uh, it looked like it was down to the Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. Looked like the <laughs> NFC South was going to get a megastar jolt to the quarterback, uh, you know, adding Brady back in, getting Deshaun Watson. But uh-uh. in a 13th hour move, the Cleveland Browns, who were the first team that were notified that they were out of the sweepstakes, somehow got themselves back in. They give up three first-round picks, two later-round picks, plus they give Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed five-year, $230 million deal to land Deshaun Watson from the Texans. <laughs> And I'm laughing at all the Saints and Falcons fans who thought they were going to get that upgrade. And it just made things so awkward for their current quarterbacks. But when you have a talent like Deshaun Watson, you got to make things awkward, right? Uh, The Saints probably lost out the most because in their salary cap dump to get Reworked the contracts to try to free up they the cap space. Yeah, they they lost their um, their young safety, who was uh, yeah. definitely on his way to being a very big impact player in the NFL. Yeah. So that was a very costly uh, miss on 
the Saints part not to land Deshaun Watson. Yeah, they lost um they lost their safety and they lost their their left tackle as well. So um yeah, it was a pretty disastrous um pretty disastrous offseason for the Saints. Um they had to end up settling on Jameis Winston and it <laughs> hate to use the word settling, but that's exactly what happened here. Um, yeah, so uh, Winston re-signs for two years, $28 million, um, as a result of that, and then... That's the, a very friendly deal, man. <laughs> I mean, shit, we're paying Carson Wentz one year, $28 million. Right. That, and the Packers are paying... Fifty a million for uh, you know Rogers yeah, per Rogers. season. So I mean, fourteen—that's pretty good, especially when you're kind of going to a new coach and you know, kind of transitioning, the like purged your whole team to restructure your contracts and things like that. So I don't yeah. think the Saints will be down in the dumps for too long, just because they can get out of that contract pretty easily. Yeah, and and then um, then it also gives them a chance to evaluate quarterbacks for the future, which. You know, not many in this class. Uh, Willis and Pickett are probably like the top two, but they're not big on people's draft boards at the moment. But I know, man, that Malik Willis pro day, some things are kind of. I mean, if Zach Wilson can go from oh four or five to then his pro day make him number one off of that one deep ball. Then that might be the same thing for Malik Willis. He may go from like twenty to eight off of that one deep ball. Yeah, that's true too. And um, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, and I, I'm wondering though, uh, did Matt Rule kind of get involved in those Deshaun Watson uh, negotiations? Because I think if, if if you keep Matt Rule away from any kind of negotiations, you might actually have a chance. Scott Fitterer is a good GM. Um, I like what he has done in the offseason, you know, improving the line. He got Bradley Bozeman from the Ravens on a one-year deal. Resigned DJ Moore, which is, aside from Christian McCaffrey, your best offensive uh, player. Um, Fleeced us for injured-ass Curtis Samuels. Last year, yes, yes, and um, and then and then also there was another lineman that they signed as well, um, and and they're even even currently at the moment they are they're looking at um, they're looking at I. And, you know, at the moment, I'm kind of like, why? But when I look at who's who's currently at the quarterback, I still think he, he might be better with a healthier line, and that's Cam Newton. Um, now, now, do I think, of course, he's not going to be the 2015 MVP Cam Newton? Absolutely not. But considering what is there, I would take it. I'm not even gonna argue. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna argue it. I would take it. Um, they signed Corey Littleton, who was a former Raider. Uh, resigned um, 
with every side. Um, Dante Jackson and Xavier Woods. So yeah, this was a pretty. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know Consequences Creed was uh, playing football now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Rasselcast. Um, but yeah, um, former Cowboys safety. Um, he was um, former Cowboy safety, and I think that's a. Uh, you know, him, put him alongside uh, Jeremy Chin in that secondary. And uh, you got got a nice little formidable Phil Snow keeps that defense going like they are. Uh, you know, I hated to lose Hassan Reddick uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles, but, you know, given where Carolina is and where Philly is, that's probably the best move for him. Um Definitely, definitely hate that he's gone because he was a he wreaked havoc on one side. Brian Burns wreaked havoc on the other side, and those two together uh, was definitely a good thing. I'll say this: if uh, Malik Willis does rise to the top ten, and if he is available, I hope Carolina would pick him. And but I do know that. <clears throat> The priority still has to be that offensive line because no quarterback is going to be successful with the line that Carolina has or had last year. The Atlanta Falcons they missed out on the Matt Ryan on the excuse me Deshaun Watson sweet space, so that meant that now Matt Ryan had been kind of dangled out there, but they pulled the trigger to trade Matt Ryan to the Colts for a third round pick. And then they signed free agent quarterback Marcus Mariota from the Raiders. So now he looks like he's going to be the man at the Falcons. And that leaves the former Cleveland quarterback Baker Mayfield in a real interesting spot because Baker Mayfield had told the Browns that he wanted to be traded to the Colts. Uh, That did not happen. So now Baker Mayfield is kind of left out here dangling in the wind because there's not really any teams who need a quarterback now, surprisingly. Yeah, and the teams that need a quarterback get interested in i.e. Carolina. Yeah, and uh, maybe the only person I think what's going to end up happening is Baker Mayfield's make is going to make nineteen million dollars next year. What's going to happen is uh, he's going to hold out, whatever. They're going to get to the you know summer, and uh, they're going to trade him to like the Seahawks, and they're going to have to pay half the salary, and the Seahawks are going to pay the other half, and then they're going to be like, okay, see if you can beat out Drew Locke. If you can't, then you'll just be a $9 million backup, and, you know, just kind of wait and see. Wait your turn. Right. Um, There's not a lot of options right now for Baker Mayfield, though. There so, is. The musical so chairs the have, have uh, so we can we can literally go down each division. Yeah, me and we, yeah, we just did that on the uh, on if you, hashtag rawcast Twitter Spaces the other night. Going nope, 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 nope. Got a quarterback. Got this guy. Got this guy. Got this guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it doesn't look good right now in the foreseeable future for uh, Baker Mayfield, and you know he's got a lot of work to do. As far as, uh, you know, Cleveland basically put out a hit on him saying that, you know, they wanted an adult in the room and the letter that he came out with, 
uh, just kind of, you know, so emotional. So before anybody really knew what the tea leaves read on the Deshaun Watson deal. Um, so yeah, Baker's got a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of repair yeah. to do to his image. And, um, we don't know where that's actually going to be able to take place at right now. It doesn't seem crystal clear to us. Um, what was crystal clear to me last week, though, was that Devontae Adams couldn't get that money from the Packers. So the Packers was like, look here, Holmes. We don't want you mad. We don't want you playing on that franchise tag. So they asked Devontae Adams what would be the best situation for him. He said, hey, I'd like to go be reunited with my former college teammate. So the Packers made it happen as the Raiders gave up three future first-round picks. And now they have Devontae Adams in the fold Reunited with Derek Carr, AFC West just getting more and more stacked uh, each and every week. It seems like they're adding more and more impact players. Uh, so now the Raiders—they've made a big move. Looks like um, they're going to stick with Derek Carr, and uh, now they've got Devontae Adams added to Hunter Renfro and Derek Waller. Um, Josh Jacobs' offensive looks a lot more potent than it did two days ago. Yep. Um. Yeah, and you got you have um, Car and Adams, Herbert and Williams, Herbert and Allen. Um. Then Eckler with the Chargers. Then you have Wilson, Judy, Sutton, Williams, Lindsay. and Denver. And then you got Lindsay back there. Yeah. And then you got, then you have in Kansas City, you got Mahomes. You have, um, you have Mahomes, Kelsey, Edwards, Hilaire. Juju Smith Schuster. Smith Schuster. Because you had one person. Yeah. But we're going to talk about that in just a second. First, we got to talk about Allen Robinson and Robert Woods basically uh, switching teams. Allen Robinson. Going from the Bears to sign a free agent deal with the world champion Los Angeles Rams. Unfortunately, that means that Robert Woods is now expendable because they're also trying to get a deal with OBJ. We should probably be a little discounted since he's coming off an entry, which works out in their favor because they're also trying to work out a deal with Aaron Donald. Uh, But Robert Woods, he gets traded to the Titans. The Titans released Julio Jones uh, earlier in the week. Robert Woods coming off an injury. Um, going to a team that can definitely use his blocking out at receiver. Um, they they run a lot of the same concepts as the uh, Rams because Arthur Smith, um, who's in Atlanta, left his offense in with uh, the Titans. So they still run a lot of the same offense that Arthur Smith ran, who is a disciple of, of uh, Sean McVay. So all of that works well for Robert Woods. And then we we'll also get, works out for Mariota, too. Right. And then we'll get to the uh, the big news of today, where is the Chiefs? They traded Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins for five future draft picks, one first round draft pick this year, second round pick, some thirds, and later round draft picks. As the Miami Dolphins and their new coach are trying to uh, bolster up their offense, get them more versatile. Kind of, I guess he's trying to bring that. San Francisco running attack versatility, and I guess he sees Tyreek Hill as his version of a Debo Samuel kind of guy who can, Corey Dale Patterson type guy who can 
you know, run it from the backfield, catch it out of the backfield, run patterns, run routes, be a, you know, downfield receiver as well. But that is big news, man. Um, Chiefs moving on from Tyreek Hill. Dolphins give him a $120 million contract. And the Dolphins uh, trying to get out from underneath that. Hey, tank, tank for play, tank for pay. Uh, Brian Flores' uh, situation have really gone all in to be uh, at least a part of the mix in the AFC for the playoffs this year. Yeah, they um, and I made a point on this earlier when this happened. They got all the money locked into Patrick Mahomes, so when a and it's kind of like the similar situation with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You're giving all the money to the quarterback, which is a very important position, but the guy catching the ball is not getting that money either. So, what do you do? You either tag him, and you tag him two years in a row for a high price, or you try to get something out of it, or they walk for nothing in two years. And so they were in that situation where sell him while he's sell sell him while he's hot, sell him while he's uh you know doing putting up the numbers he's been putting up, and get maximize the return on it. Yes, it's gonna be weird not seeing Mahomes and Hill do damage to secondaries, but um. Patrick Mahomes is a gifted quarterback. He'll get the. He'll be the next man up, uh, basically. And this gives uh, this gives the Dolphins a very, very lethal passing game because you'll have Hill on one side, Jalen Waddell on the other, Mike Gesicki at tight end. So there's definitely potential here. It's just going to be up to Tua to get them the ball. Um, I think his name is uh Mike McDonald. He is mm-hmm. gonna have a, a situation in his lap that Brian Flores never had, where it's gonna look like you know all systems are gonna be go for Miami this year to compete, to try to make the playoffs, to try to be a, a major major player. Uh, their defense has been very good for the past couple of years. They've just needed. A little bit more punch on offense. Definitely getting Tyreek Hill gives him the threat of having more punch on offense. But we still have to see how Tua matures. Um, you know, it's going to be a new offense this year. Going to probably see something more closer to the Kyle Shanahan uh, stretch running play action game. And we'll see how Tua is able to execute uh, in that style of offense uh, compared to uh, what Miami was running before. Um so that basically, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what else. I thought the major news was kind of done for NFL free agency, but uh, every other day it seems like we get, um, you know, more and more blockbuster news. So who's to say by the end of the week, you know, what's going to happen? Um, but this has been a very, very wild um, free agency period for the NFL. A lot of big money contracts being handed out. Uh, NFL players are starting to kind of, understand the power of the guarantee money and um, a lot of these contracts they have big numbers but the guarantees is what really matter 
And, um, you know, these guys are starting to, you know, Tyreek Hill, I think he's getting like 78 of the 120 million guaranteed. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that makes for, um, in that way, with that guaranteed money as well, the guys can guarantee they don't get cut and, you know, and actually see, you know, at least, you know, 85% of the total value of the contract, which is a, you know, a lot different than the way business used to be done, uh, just, a, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah, because when you and then then who knows about the draft was going to happen? Because you look at Houston, they're going to have the third pick and now the thirteenth pick from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the Seahawks for the Russell Wilson deal. They're going to be in the top uh, ten now because their pick from the Jamal Adams trade went to the Jets, who had the fourth and tenth picks. The Giants have the fifth and seventh picks, and then, and then uh, Philadelphia, they got back-to-back picks. They got the fifteenth and sixteenth picks, and the nineteenth pick as well. Uh, Green Bay, they have two uh, number one picks. They got the twenty-second and twenty-eighth picks, and then the Chiefs have back-to-back picks, the twenty-ninth and thirtieth picks. As well. Yeah, well, there we go, man. That um, NFL offseason wilder and wilder every year, man, as it is just uh, NFL really has a way of just sapping the, 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 the stage away from any and everything. Um, you know, we thought it was all, all going to be about the tournament on Friday. Deshaun Watson was like, nope. I'm going to Cleveland. I'm here. That changed up everything, and now today, everybody's talking about Tyreek Hill right here on the day before the tournament gets ready to start back up again. So, well, at least at least Tyreek Hill did it before the game starts. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, though? Right, right. Well, at this point, Dwayne, I'm gonna turn it over to you, sir, for your shout outs and your final thoughts. I got a lot of final thoughts. So I'm trying to sort them out. Um, <laughs> it's kind of tough to um, um, really pick one. Um, so I'm gonna do a quick. I'm gonna do it like this. I'm gonna do the quick hockey review, and then I'll have my final thought. That cool? Yeah, that's cool, man. All right, so. Um, we look into the um, Eastern Conference. Uh, twenty games, eighteen to twenty games left. Uh, Seventeen for some teams as well. Other teams have at least twenty-one games left. Um, it's still Florida, the Panthers, the Florida Panthers, the good Panthers, as I like to call them. Um, they are. They're deadlocked with the Carolina Hurricanes at 90 points. Um, the uh, Panthers do have a game in hand at the moment, and Carolina has one more regulation loss, which um, would put them at a disadvantage if these two teams met in the Eastern Conference Final in a best of seven. Um Florida leads Tampa Bay, the two-time reigning champs, by six points, and Toronto by seven points in the Atlantic. 
Carolina leads Pittsburgh by three. And they do have a game in hand with uh, Pittsburgh and the Rangers um, at number in the Metropolitan. Uh, Boston and Washington control the wild cards. Um, nothing has changed there. And their their lead is pretty much uh, still it's still a pretty huge lead. Uh, no competition in that wild card spot. Um in the West, the Colorado Avalanche still have the inside track to the President's Trophy for the best overall record for the second year in a row. Um, they have 95 overall points. They are well ahead of St. Louis and Minnesota and Nashville. St. Louis has 79. Minnesota and Nashville have 78. In the Pacific, Calgary is uh, leading the Pacific over the L.A. Kings. Um, and who have 78, Edmonton Oilers at 75. The wild card, Nashville has the first wild card at 78 points. Dallas leads uh, Vegas. So Vegas is actually on the outside looking in right now. Um, they lead Vegas by one point, Winnipeg by three, and Vancouver by five. Um, the Seattle Kraken, Vegas is... Um, Younger expansion brother, their first season. They are not in the cellar right now. That distinction belongs to the Arizona Coyotes in the West, who have the fewest points along with the Montreal Canadiens, which is wild considering the Canadiens were just in the Stanley Cup a year ago. Um, that is really where we are in the hockey world. Um, definitely... Uh, Connor McDavid is probably still got the inside track towards MVP. Um, our, um, Austin Matthews leads the league in goals. And uh, Frederick Anderson's got the probably the favorite to win the Vezina because he's in the top three in goals against, save percentage, and wins as well. And that concludes the hockey portion of the show. Um, anything about the Hurricanes you want to touch on, Don? Um, gritty win last night against uh, Tampa. Stop a four-game losing streak. Um, Should have only been a three-game losing streak, but Ovechkin happened last Friday. He, he scored <laughs> it's over, the, baby. He scored the game tie-in game, uh, goal to send the game into overtime. And then um, Carolina failed to score on their first two shootout attempts. And then Ovi came up, and I basically told everybody in the suite I was in, oh, I think you guys can start gathering your stuff. It's about to be time to go home. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But, At least um, they got a point out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, great win last night, though, against uh, Tampa and Veseleski, man. Uh, such a hard goaltender to – to crack and they got three goals on them. Um, three, uh, two of those power play goals. So a uh, good win for the hurricanes, uh, made a trade for Max Domi, uh, here at the trade deadline for hopefully a little bit more grit, maybe one more, uh, you know, contributor when it comes to scoring mm-hmm. uh, five on five. Um, but yeah, um, the right thing right now is just health. Um, that's kind of been the, 
the bugaboo of the Hurricanes uh, in the playoffs the last three seasons. It's just they just haven't had their team at full strength as the playoffs have uh, progressed. So I think that's the Sounds goal. like a typical Carolina team. I think that's the goal for uh, for Don Waddell and Rob Brendamore is just to try to get try to win the Metropolitan Division, keep that seeding, but also keep everybody healthy and in tip top form uh, as we head to this last month of the season. Definitely, um, I would be. I would love to say, I would love to say the Sharks are in it, but I mean they they're eight. Nine points off the pace, and they've already been sellers. They traded um, several players already, um, but they did. And one thing about hockey contracts I don't like is they give these long contracts, but there is no value to these contracts. Um, Timo Meyer, he did sign an extension, but I mean the eight years, eight million. I know hockey's different from, you know basketball from the other major sports in America. But eight years, eight million. Ugh. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I think if you know if you're gonna I mean make it at least like um four years for eight million. You can give the man two million a year. I mean average annual value is like one million. And um Meyer's gonna definitely be he's basically gonna be the future him, Thomas Hurdle. Uh, Logan Couture is going to still remain the captain. Um, you know, a lot of things that, I mean, the Sharks have been perennial contenders for years, uh, but, as, you know, they, they tried the retooling. They've had to part ways with uh, their legends, Joe Thorne and Patrick Marleau, two guys from the 1997 NHL draft. Um <laughs> 25 years, I mean, this is, they've been, and Joe Thornton still chasing that cup um, in Florida with the Panthers. Um, and then the biggest trade in the NHL, probably uh, Claude Giroux, mm-hmm. Flyers captain, going to the Panthers. Um, definitely tough because Giroux has been the heart and soul of the Flyers, even in these lean times. Um, one thing is that the Flyers were looking to be a major player this season, but they've been wrecked by injuries. You want to talk about a team getting hit with the injury bug. The moves they made to improve um, have not panned out. And, you know, Giroux was willing to wave the no trade. And um, basically pick his destination, so... He's picking the Panthers. He'll be a free agent in the offseason. Uh, um, gave his all to Philly. Third in his franchise in points. And um, definitely definitely going to be missed in Philadelphia. But he deserves to get a cup at this point in his career. And why not try to get it with a contender like the Panthers? So, um, So, yeah. Back to my final thought as um, we have a title race now in the Premier League. Uh, Manchester City has dominated all season long, but now uh, Liverpool has snuck up on them. City has kind of faltered a little bit. 
Um, when we look at the EPL table, Manchester City and Liverpool both have played 29 games, and one point separates them with nine matches left. Um, so it's going to be a very, very entertaining title race. Liverpool has a five-goal differential um, lead on City because um, if a tiebreak does happen, the next um, thing is uh, goal differential. And so it's going to be very interesting, a title race. And in domestic soccer, Charlotte FC won their first uh, MLS game over the New England Revolution. Um, the other football project, as it was originally called, um, looking to be a success. They did set the MLS record opening night, um, uh, uh, opening night against uh, the Galaxy. They lost, but they finally got that first win. And um, now that they got that first win, we'll see how they can do after that. All right. Um my final thought will be about the folks at Atlanta Motor Speedway who decided to make a huge change to their racetrack. They uh, reconfigured the track, made it narrower, and banked it, and uh, created a basically a another restrictor plate race on a, a mile and a half track which led to some very exciting races through all three series of the NASCAR um, events this past weekend. And, uh, yeah, I think Atlanta has went from one of the races who was kind of on the verge of maybe uh, getting their, um, you know, race. They have two race weekends, probably getting it pushed down to one. Uh, now has changed the whole complexion of the event and has turned that into one of the most must see races at any point of the season now, and I definitely loved the style of racing. William Byron won the race. Bubba Wallace was in contention all day long until a rep coming off of the final turn uh, had him placed 13th. But um, thought this was a real entertaining race, and I can't wait to see uh, how things look when they come back in the summer. And uh, they do it again. So, kudos to the people uh, in charge of Atlanta Motor Speedway taking the chance to to do something to try to uh, invigorate that race and that racetrack. And the race fans came out and they saw it and they supported. So, hopefully, that's a good sign uh, for things going forward at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. So, for my co-host Dwayne. Well, first, let's do my own shout-outs and thank you. Sorry. Shout-out to Dwayne, my co-host. Shout-out to everybody here on the CSBN. Shout-out to all the patrons who support over on patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. Uh, you can also support the show through CSPN.us. You can also find us on the web at CSPN.us. You can listen to us through SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, all those usual places. Just search for KTSPod-TheCSPN. Um Continue to rate and review the podcast. Five stars. Share the podcast when the new episodes come out. And we greatly appreciate everybody supporting myself and Dwayne on Know the School. So for my co-host, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.